since learning the truth about alcohol over four years ago, I've become pretty skeptical about anything that seems too good to be true. You know, like alcohol. If you're like me and you can spot a too good to be true health hack from a mile away, congrats, you're a skeptic too. Ritual knows that every good skeptic deserves a multivitamin that exceeds our standards. I take Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus every morning because it has high quality and traceable key ingredients in clean, bioavailable forms. It's gentle on an empty stomach and has a minty essence in every bottle that helps make taking my multis actually enjoyable. No more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com forward slash sober mom. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com forward slash sober mom for 25% off. All right, you guys, I am currently struggling with a pinched nerve in my neck. And if you have ever had one, you know the pain. So I am feeling super thankful for today's sponsor, Tanasi. Tanasi's CBD, CBDA is two times better than CBD alone and better than over-the-counter ibuprofen, acetaminophen, and aspirin. It helps soothe and relieve my aches and pains, like my pinched nerve, and it's great for sleep and anxiety, so I put it on right before bed. Tanasi was discovered by a team of chemists and biologists at Middle Tennessee State University, and 5% of all revenue is given back to the university partner for ongoing research. It is THC-free and comes in a range of products. I love the topicals, but you can also choose from soft gels, gummies, and tinctures. Satisfaction is guaranteed. Try Tanasi for 30 days, and if you don't love it, you get a full refund. Go to Tanasi.com and use code MOM to get 25% off at checkout. That's T-A-N-A-S-I.com to get 25% off your first order with promo code MOM. Hi, welcome to the Sober Mom Life podcast. I'm your host, Suzanne of My Kind of Sweet and the Sober Mom Life on Instagram. If you are a mama who has questioned your relationship with alcohol at times, if you're wondering if maybe it's making motherhood harder, this is for you. I will be having candid, honest, funny conversations with other moms who have also thought, hmm, maybe motherhood is better without alcohol. Is it possible? We'll chat and we'll talk about all things sobriety and how we've found freedom in sobriety. I don't consider myself an alcoholic. You don't have to either. And maybe life is brighter without alcohol. I hope you will join us on this journey and I'm so excited to get started. Hello, happy Friday. Welcome to our special episode of the Real Sober Mom Chats. It's like the Real Housewives, but without the booze and the bad drama and the fillers. <laughs> How's that? I have heard so much feedback about the sober moms. You guys love the stories from real moms who are in it, who are figuring out, who are maybe sober curious. They're talking about their journeys, and that's what this is. We are bringing you moms from the Sober Mom Life Cafe. All of these moms connect over there 
if you want to come and join us, it's $15 a month. And you get, first of all, you get to sign up to share your story on the Real Sober Mom chat. And I am just opening up my September calendar. So that link to join the cafe is in the show notes. You also get weekly Zoom meetings. You get Discord chat where you can chat with moms just like you all day long. Book club. You get bonus podcast episodes. It's just a huge party over there. Come and join us. And I know you will enjoy this episode of the Real Sober Mom Chats. Today on the podcast, we have Yoda. <laughs> Yoda in the chat. <laughs> oh my God. Now we, we have Bethany. We don't have Yoda, even though you are kind of, you're like a blonde Yoda. Hi, welcome. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, I'm so excited. I've been looking forward to this talk because I just, just a little BTS. You have been opening up a lot in our groups. And I love when I start to learn more about people in our groups. And then that gets me really excited to be like, oh, okay. Now, like, I can't wait to sit down and really learn about your story and more about you. So I'm so excited. Yeah, I get the full story. I saw that deep breath you just took too. <laughs> <laughs> this is a new thing for me. I know. No, I get it. Okay. So let's go back. Let's talk about alcohol. What was your relationship with it? Like, how was it growing up? Let's start there. I think I started drinking. It was probably about my sophomore year of high school. I think most people probably started drinking in high school. And my parents... I, I had a pretty stable home. Like my parents didn't really drink that much. It was the normal. We live in Wisconsin. So it was like, go out for dinner and have a fish fry and have your old fashions. Oh my God, old fashions. Did I know you You live in Wisconsin? You're from Wisconsin? Yeah. If I'm from Wisconsin, I live in Madison, but I grew up in central Wisconsin. So I'm your neighbor. I didn't know that. <laughs> oh my God. No wonder why we like you. My mom's always like, I just love Bethany. That's why. Also because you're wonderful. Oh, I love your mom. <laughs> Wait, where in central Wisconsin? Where did you grow up? I grew up in Wausau. My God, yes. My in-laws live in Merrill. Oh, nice. Yeah, I know. Oh my God. Okay. Small world. Oh, I know. Old home week. Okay. So yes. And in Wisconsin, like, yes, fish fry, beer, old fashions. Totally. Yeah. And so I think... My parents, the relationship that they had with alcohol, I felt like was normal and like it wasn't problematic. They weren't really like drinking at home. It just seemed fine. But for me, I started drinking in high school because it was just the thing that you did. Like it was like everybody drank. And so, okay, I'm going to partake in this too. And so I think it was, yeah, it was probably like 15 or 16 when I started drinking. But the interesting thing is that... I did not really like it, like at all. I definitely was doing it wrong. <laughs> I didn't like beer. So at parties, it would be like, okay, so someone will have like a cheap, ugh, gross bottle of vodka that you mix with like Mountain Dew or Pepsi or Cherry Coke, whatever. Oh my God, Mountain Dew, yes. Cherry Coke, yes. Okay. And you know, if it was like a bougie weekend, someone would get a bottle of UV blue vodka that you could mix with Mountain Dew. <laughs> oh my God, remember those? Okay, yes, I'm with you. Oh, yeah. So at these parties, you know, you'd make your own drinks. And so I'd have my red cup and you'd fill it like three quarters full of vodka with just like a quarter of Mountain Dew. And what ended up happening is I tried to drink this. It tastes horrible. And my body was just like, 
oh, hell no. I don't want, and I would end up throwing up. So for like most of high school, when I was trying to drink, I was like sneaking off to puke in the bushes and never getting drunk because you were <laughs> clearly doing it wrong. Like, I mean, or, or your body was doing it right, right? Your body's like, oh, right. This is a horrible toxin. And you're like, no, stay in my body. <laughs> yes. You know, everybody else loved to drink or so I thought. So I just kept trying, like, what am I doing wrong? that I'm not enjoying this because I just like I did not get it I'm like this doesn't taste good it doesn't make me feel good it's making me barf in the bushes like what what am I missing here so that's interesting so it wasn't even just like okay this tastes horrible which of course like all of our first drinks like go back to that and you're like oh my god this is horrible but then once you feel that buzz you're like oh I get it okay so you didn't even get that you were just like wait I don't understand (laughs) (laughs) I don't understand so I wanted to fit in and, but it like wasn't working for me. So I ended up faking it actually a lot of the time. So really, you know, I would fill my cup with just like soda and pretend that I put vodka in there. And like everybody else was getting drunk and I'm just over here drinking my big cup of Mountain Dew. Oh my God. I did that for like most of high school. I think there definitely were times where I'm sure I got drunk and like had alcohol, but it was never that like, oh yeah, this is that good buzz. It usually just got to like, I'm not fun drunk. So I still just didn't understand why people enjoyed this so much, like why they loved it so much. So then college came around and this pattern continued until I was 21. Side note, I was not one of those cool kids who had a fake ID and would go to the bars because I'm such a rule follower. I was so terrified. I remember one time, I think I was 20 and we were at uh, birthday bar, like having dinner for a friend's birthday, and we and we were having dinner, and then we snuck over to the bar side, yeah, to like, and we ordered drinks from the bar, and we got our drinks. And I remember standing there, like drinking my drink, and I was just like so nervous the entire time that like the police were going to bust in and be like, "Look at me!" And be like, "You're 20 years old. You're going to jail, <laughs> like for life." And it was just like not even fun. Yeah, like just total anxiety. So it wasn't even fun. So I ended up leaving. <laughs> That's funny though, because so I was always the youngest because like I graduate, my birthday is at the end of July, right? So graduated at 17, like my friends could all like write notes to get out of school. I couldn't, like I was not 21 when all my friends were 21, I was 20. And so I was the one with the fake ID and like you, I was terrified, but unlike you, I didn't listen to that. And instead I was just like, okay, full steam ahead. Let's go. Let me, yes, I have to memorize how tall am I (laughs) what's one time like a bouncer was like do you wear contacts and I was like I mean I do but I don't know if she does (laughs) (laughs) and he's like yeah (laughs) because I was like I don't know oh my god that's hilarious yeah I didn't get in oh yes I only did that one time because I was just too afraid oh my god it's terrifying like talking to those bouncers and you're like, I got to lie. I got to lie. But like, I was adamant that I was going to do it. Oh, God, you you made a better choice. Yeah. So that pattern continued in college where I didn't really like drinking. And I would pretend at some parties. I mean, at in college, it was beer. Oh, like warm, natty ice. Like ice house. <laughs> Yes, so gross. Milwaukee's best. Yeah, like the cheap, whatever the cheapest keg beer was. And warm. Oh my God, and foamy. Yeah, so a lot of times at parties, it was just, you know, grab a cup and make yourself a drink. So I did the same thing again where I end up like 
faking it a lot. And I can actually recall still doing this, like fill up my cup with vodka three quarters of the way and put a little soda on top. And I like, I can play it like a movie in my head being in my apartment, my junior year of high school or college and like having to beeline it to my back porch to like barf off oh, the deck. So like, totally. <laughs> you think I would have figured this out in like five years, but I just, I did not anyway. So it wasn't until my 21st birthday when I went out to a bar and had a cocktail that was made with appropriate proportions by a bartender who knew what they were doing, who knew how to you know hide the taste with a lot of sugar and good things. And I had that first drink, like drank the whole thing. And I think I got my first buzz and I was like, oh, now I get this. Like now I get why people love this so much. And so that kind of began my enjoying of alcohol and like my drinking drinking journey from there. And I think in college, it was just your typical like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, go out. Like we didn't really drink at home that much. It was just like going out to the bars till the middle of the night and, you know, just drinking, drinking it down. Like it's what you did in college. Oh, totally. Did you go to college in Wisconsin? Yeah, I went to Madison. Oh, you did go to Madison. Okay. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's how I ended up down here and, and just stayed. So yeah, a big party school. Wisconsin is a huge party school. It's like what? Yeah. It's where you can major and binge drinking at Wisconsin. It's like what they're known for. Yes. Yeah. So in college, it was after that, once I was 21, it just became like kind of the normal. And then once I got into my 20s, it was mostly on the weekends, like didn't really drink during the weeks. There were, you know, some nights we'd go out in the middle of the week with friends, um, but it wasn't anything too crazy or would have been considered quote unquote normal, like what you did in your 20s. And then in my late 20s, well, I got married to my husband. And then in my late 20s, got my first son. And that was in 2018. It really wasn't hard to stop drinking. It was like a little bit of a transition because, you know, that first baby, it's a lifestyle transition going from like just you and your husband, like doing living life how you want, like going out on the weekends. So that was a little bit of a transition, but it wasn't, it wasn't like hard to stop. I did get a good seed that was planted during that pregnancy specific to my career. So I used to have a really demanding job in the insurance industry. And my fourth quarters were just incredibly stressful. Like it was just really long hours. I mean, sometimes I was up working till midnight, trying to just like get everything done. It was a huge crunch. And it usually resulted in one day where I was feeling overwhelmed and I'd cry at my desk just out of pure overwhelm. Oh, yes. <laughs> and the year I was pregnant with my son, that didn't happen because I was pregnant and I wasn't drinking. And I remember thinking, huh, this busy season wasn't, it wasn't as hard. It wasn't as stressful. Wow. I'm like, I wonder if that's because I'm not drinking. And so I didn't think that much about that, but that seed was definitely planted in my head that maybe drinking is making my job more stressful or giving me more anxiety. Like maybe this is, a, maybe this is something I should pay attention to in the future. Which also isn't that mind blowing that like building a human inside your body was easier on you and your mental health than drinking. Like that's pretty wild. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that seed was planted. And then after my first son was born, just kind of like went back to, no, we didn't go back to usual. After my first son was born, we had a kid now. So where before we would go out and have drinks, we'd like go out to a bar, like go out with friends, but now we had a kid. So we weren't going out as much. And because of that, we were drinking more at 
home and my husband got super into craft cocktails, like really into it to the point where he was like making his own shrubs and tinctures and just like, oh, wow, really good. What's a shrub? Like a bush? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) It's a type of like syrup, I guess. I don't know. He's like, oh, I have this uh, rhubarb shrub. Oh, wow. Cocktail. I'm like, okay, just whatever. I'll drink it. You're like, give it to me. Yes. So it was, it was not, it was really nice to have these like delicious cocktails at home. But that ended the separation of, okay, we drink when we go to the bars and now we're at home and we're drinking. And so it slowly started increasing because you're at home every night of the week. So you can have a drink every night of the week if you want. And that didn't happen right away with our first son. That really didn't happen until after we had our second, who was born in February of 2020. So right before the pandemic. Yeah, it was a lot. You know, we had a kind of like a month of normalcy and then everything shut down. And then I was at home with a one month old physically healing and then an 18 month old and my husband was trying to work at home and like we didn't have the planned support of family that we were hoping for. So it was just a lot. And, you know, it was just kind of a depressing time. Like you didn't have much to look forward to. So we definitely ended up drinking more during that time. It kind of became our separation of the day to night uh, where, and, and I did, I was on maternity leave for three months, but I did eventually go back to work. And so we were still at home and the drinking kind of became like, okay, we're done with our work day. It's the separation. Now we're going to sit down and have a cocktail and unwind and relax. And that's when it really started to become a habit of just, okay, make some cocktails, go to put the kids to bed, go downstairs, have some drinks and watch Ted Lasso and like eat some food. Totally. And it was also at this time that I started noticing that I was eating to like almost be to an uncomfortable point. And that was totally a coping mechanism of just like the hard time that we were in with COVID. And once I noticed like, oh, I wonder what's happening here. I like Googled it and I was like, oh, okay. So I need to be really careful because this is binge eating. This is like, I could could tell that I was on a path towards disordered eating and I was able to like stop that. Yeah. Saw a therapist, talked about it a little bit and um, it was fine for the most part. But I did notice more when I was drinking that the two kind of went hand in hand. And I know from talking to a lot of women in your community that that's actually pretty common, that drinking and binge eating really go hand in hand for a lot of people. So I was able to to manage that. So anyway, 2020, you know, drinking more at home and it kind of ebbed and flowed from there. Once things started to open up more, you know, it was a little bit more of like going out to eat at, oh my gosh, man, did that feel like such a luxury experience to like leave the house and have someone like do the dishes. Isn't this crazy? Like we still talk about it, like, because we all collectively went through this, right? And so we're all like, yeah, you know, like, you know, that time that the world shut down, right? And we were stuck at home. But when, like, you guys, the fucking world shut down and we were stuck at home. And you were stuck at home with a one month and 18 month old. And like that, I still don't think we've, there's been the the reckoning of mental health and everything that we went through, especially as moms. Like, you were newly postpartum, no support. 
Like your husband's trying to work from home. Of course you need something to break up your from day to night where it's just like melting into each other and drowning. And like, oh my God, like even just hearing that, it like takes you back to that place, right? And we're like, holy shit, like what did we live through? Totally. And I definitely think a lot of us have not yet processed that yet. I don't think I fully have. I don't think we have. And it's only when you hear someone else's story. You know, like your story is your story and you're used to it, telling it and you lived it. Me hearing this story, I'm like, holy shit. Like you're a new mom to two babies. Your village that you thought the the support that you thought you were going to have gone. Like you can't go anywhere. We can't leave our houses. Like we're stuck at home. Not to mention we're terrified because we don't know what this thing is. It's it's insane. It's insane what we went through. And yeah, then when you could finally go out to a restaurant and that going outside and going to be social feels like, holy shit. First of all, am I putting my family at risk that everyone's telling me not to, but I think I need to and all of this stuff? Like what? I just always want to point out how fucking insane it is that we went through a global pandemic and we still have not talked about mental health and what we went through. Like, no, we're still just not talking about we're like, oh, I I guess it's over. Like, question mark. (laughs) Yeah. And the fact that we we couldn't go anywhere in our area, they closed down the playground. So we couldn't even take our 18 month old to the freaking park. So we're just like, I remember trying to play games with him on our driveway, like, tag and googling games that we can play to like run out this energy on our driveway and I remember like walking past the park and him just being so sad that we couldn't go and I'm like sorry buddy it's not safe that poor little kid I know and like poor you and poor moms like that's that's crazy ours was the same that the parks were like orange like caution tape and like orange netting all around it for like four months. Like you just couldn't go to the, I remember my husband going to Walgreens and I was like, how could you be so reckless? (laughs) I was like incensed. And then like to think about that, I mean, oh God. So yes, I mean, all of this to say, of course, our drinking ramped up during this time of just all of this uncertainty and and no no thought in regard for mental health and what we were going through like n- none so yeah okay i'm done with my rant because as things started to open up more i think we kind of cut back a little bit tried to be a little more cognizant of like okay we probably shouldn't be doing this this much and i don't remember like I don't think it was to the point of like, okay, we're really trying to moderate. Like we're only like setting any rules in place of we're only going to drink these eight. Like that didn't come yet. But I just remember being aware of that. We, sh- you know, it just feels like it's a little too much. And you guys were like on the same page with that. Like you and your husband were like, yeah, both of you were like, yeah, this was a little much. I think more so me than him. Okay. You seem to be very like, you're like, oh, I noticed this and I recognized this about myself. And I like, even with the binge eating and like, you seem to have a really good perspective on mm-hmm. kind of how you're feeling and what you're doing and, and you're able to look at it. So yeah, that doesn't surprise me that you were like, oh, okay, what's going on here? Yeah. Just trying to be more self-aware. So then uh, came April of 2022. And uh, I got pregnant again um, with our third little boy. And we 
we weren't trying. We knew we wanted to have another another baby, uh, but this one was like a whoops. Didn't quite track my days correctly, <laughs> and yeah. we were pregnant. So it was a little we, a little earlier than we were hoping, and we wanted to try later in the summer. So I mentally wasn't prepared to be pregnant. Like my, my other two pregnancies, it was kind of okay. We're going to try. We got pregnant, so I was like ready for it. So stopping drinking this time was a little bit harder. And I think it was because I wasn't mentally prepared. Uh, but then also it had just become so much of a habit in the pandemic. And so... And also because it's it's an addictive substance, right? Totally. Like, don't forget that. Right. Like, the, it's not a weakness in you that you were like, oh, wait, why is it harder to stop this time? Yes. So I was able to, I mean, I was able to stop it, which just was a little bit harder. And this pregnancy was really hard on me, like so much harder than my other two pregnancies. I had never experienced perinatal depression, uh, but I did with this pregnancy. I was severely depressed. I could hardly take care of myself, the kids, like every day just felt like a struggle and a fog. And I was just like really sick. And in my heart, I just knew something was wrong. Mm. Like from the right from the get go, I knew something was wrong. So much so that we didn't really tell anyone except for our immediate family. Because in my heart, I was just so concerned that something was wrong. And at my eight week ultrasound, actually, I actually cried because there was a heartbeat and I just was not expecting there to be. Um, and then right after that, my two-year-old fell, broke his femur, and was in what's called the spica cast. Oh, no. Which is from your chest all the way down to your feet. So he was like in a full body cast. Oh, my God. And I was so depressed and just like really struggling. And now I have this two-year-old who, who like really needs me, like cannot move at all without me. So it was just a really hard time. Um, and then... It was a couple months at home with him in that cast, which I don't want to say that I was grateful for it, but it also, it allowed me to hide from the world during a time when I was really struggling because like he like, oh yeah, Bethany, we understand you can't come. Your son is in this body cast. Like that's totally fine. So it allowed me to hide from the world when I was really struggling. And, you know, when you're in that too, it's not something you want to talk about it's really embarrassing. And you just feel like what's wrong with me. And like, I remember thinking like, why would my husband even want to be with me anymore? Mm. Like, it's like, just totally different. It was not my brain. It was not like my thought pattern. I didn't recognize it at all. And it was pretty scary. Yeah. And the hard thing is that like, when you're in those, those depressive states, and like when it feels, I mean, just harder than it ever has, the last thing you want to do is talk about it. And that's the thing that you have to do. And that is, I think, I mean, that is because I know exactly what you mean. And yeah, that's the hardest. So my son ended up getting his cast off. And I, I was still really struggling with the depression. I just still felt like something is wrong. But at least my son could walk, well, would be able to walk soon. But then a few weeks later, it was June 24th. Roe v. Wade was overturned. And on June 25th, we learned that our son had a fatal fetal anomaly. Mm. And we went through, um, you know, weeks of testing and meeting with doctors. And 
it was just really, really hard and just bad news and a lot of risks for me. And Mm -hmm. so we um, made the decision to terminate that pregnancy. And we did that in July. And this on top of just like everything that had happened the last few months and then the conversations surrounding abortion, it was just everywhere. It was on the news. It was on social media. People were talking about it constantly. And here I am, like, I'm that woman now. I never expected to be that woman. I'm that woman. And it was so hard. It was so hard. I have, like, I know we did the right thing for our family. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it, we were just dealt a difficult hand. And, but the timing of it just made things so much more complex. And we're in Wisconsin. So we had to go out of state. And there were all these additional wait times. And there were just like all these extra hoops we had to run through. And our providers um, were so wonderful and empathetic. And I, it was also hard for them. I remember when I was speaking with our genetic counselor, she was crying with me on the phone because I was her first patient that she had to counsel through this in a post-rural world. Like it was, you know, that it was Friday that it was struck down. And then Monday we were having these conversations. Oh my God. Um, and I'll never forget just like the empathy that they showed me. But anyway, so it was a very difficult time. I want to just thank you for sharing this and being strong enough to share it. Because I can see, I can see how much you're struggling still. And I think that this is probably the most important thing to share because especially in a post-row world, which is so bananas to even think about, that these are the stories that have to be told and that are the most important to share because this idea that, you know, a mom would make this choice easily and without... I mean, just casually. Yeah. It's just not true. It's just not true. And you sharing this, I'm just, I'm so proud of you. And I I thank you. And I know it will help someone and just humanize this whole situation that we're in as a country. And I'm just so sorry. I'm so sorry that you had to first experience that loss. And what a, you know, a loss that no mother wants to experience and then also be traumatized by it every day by the news and what was going on. And so just, I'm so sorry. And I thank you for sharing it. And thank you for giving me a platform to share it. I went back and forth. Um, I was really excited to come on here and tell my my sobriety story, but I was really scared to talk about this piece of it. But this is a really big piece of it, of, of my sobriety story. Just because people can be cruel and I want to protect my heart and my family, but I also know that hearing these stories is important. Yeah. And um, I don't want to keep this a secret anymore. I'm not ashamed of it. It was just, you know, a really difficult thing that happened to our family. And I do hope that in sharing it, it does help someone or help someone feel seen. So after that, I, you know, it took a few, it took a little bit to start feeling like myself. Something that I wasn't anticipating is I actually went through postpartum. My hair was falling out. I had the night sweats. My breast milk came in, Ugh. which was a huge 
punch in the gut. I wasn't expecting that, mm-hmm. but I found an amazing group of women who've gone through the same thing and they were so supportive and so wonderful. And I don't think I would have gotten through this without them, but I did end up starting to feel better. Like my depression started lifting. I started feeling like myself again. And I just wanted to get back to normal. I kind of wanted to get rid of all the noise that was in the news and social media. Like I just wanted that to go away so I could just be Bethany again, even though I would never, I mean, you know, after experiencing like that, you're never going to be the same. And so part of our normal was let's just drink at home. And my husband too, with his cocktails and that being his creative outlet, I think it was also a way of him to show love and support to me. I'm like, yeah, let's just have some drinks and unwind together and connect. And let's not talk about this big thing that happened. Let's just be, let's just be us again. And so at that time, I think my drinking like ramped up quite a bit to the point where we were probably drinking like every day. And it was more in the fall where I started being like, oh, this isn't good. We're drinking too much. I'm starting to like not feel that great. I'm not getting up to work out in the morning. Uh, I just feel like there's these other big dreams that I want to pursue. And I feel like this might be getting in the way. I don't know if this is aligned with my values anymore. And so I started talking with my husband about this and this enter moderation phase that everyone goes through of, okay, we're going to put rules in place. We're only going to drink Thursday, Friday, Saturday, or Friday, Saturday. I don't remember specifically what the rules were. Or we're only going to drink on the weekends. And then if we have events, and that was really hard. Of course, it's really hard. It's hard for everybody. It just took up so much mental space in my head of having to make that daily decision of like, is today a day that we drink? Like, are the conditions right that we can drink? Have I had like a hard enough day where, or that that we could drink? Or is there something to celebrate that we should drink? And it was just like all these little things in my head. And it was just so, so much like noise and so much space. And it was freaking exhausting. So then in December of last year, I randomly decided to read the book, The Artist's Way uh, by, I think it's by Julia Cameron, which is totally a life-changing book. I'm here because of that book. And in, in that book, she recommends that you do something called daily pages where you just, in the morning, first thing when you wake up, you write three long, longhand pages and just brain dump, like whatever's in your mind, no judgment. You're not supposed to read them. Nobody else is supposed to read them. It's just like everything that's in your brain Just get it out on paper so that you can get some clarity. And I started that, I started that journaling. I looked back because I was curious how much time passed and how how long I was journaling. So I started that on December 9th. And the thing that kept coming out of my pages is that I didn't want to drink anymore. And then I was frustrated with myself when I was drinking, like the next morning, I would just kind of like beat myself up in these pages. Like it was a Wednesday. What were you doing drinking? You guys are just trying to do the weekends. And it was just like so much of it was about alcohol. And so that was when I got really strict with my husband. I'm like, okay, we need to like, we're only doing this Thursday, Friday and Saturday. And of course it worked a little bit, but not really. And it was just still taking up so much brain space. And then uh, December 18th, we had my favorite holiday party of the year at our friend's house. They, it's just like a big blowout. They have amazing catering from this like sushi restaurant they have bartenders and we go Christmas caroling and they own restaurants. So they're just very gracious hosts. It's just such a fun party. Yeah. And I think I had a lot of fun, but I drank a ton, drank a ton. And the next day I woke up 
with the worst hangover ever. Like I was so hungover and that was it for me. I was like, I'm done with this. I don't need this anymore. I'm not going to do it. Like, look at how I feel right now. Like I'm doing this to myself. This doesn't make any sense. I don't need this to have fun. And I knew at that point in time, like that I was done, that I wasn't going back, but I wasn't ready to tell. I wasn't ready to tell anybody that. Like even my husband, I didn't tell him that I was like, done drinking forever. I just said, I'm just going to chill out on the alcohol for a little bit and see what happens. And he didn't really, I remember we were up at my parents' house for Christmas. And so it was like the week after Christmas. And he was like, oh, babe, you want a cocktail? I'm like, no, I'm good. The next night, babe, you want a cocktail? No, I'm good. The third night, do you want a cocktail? I'm like, nope, I'm good. He's like, so are you like never drinking again? <laughs> that question. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I don't know. I'm just, just taking a break right now. And I feel very good about it. And I do remember that week, I have never slept better in my life. I slept so hard. And I was at my parents' house too. So it wasn't even like at home. I was in a kind of a foreign environment. And I slept so well. And I just remember being so present with the kids for all like all the Christmas things. And just, I felt like I noticed so much more and that I was able to have more of these like little joyful moments that I don't know if I would have noticed if I was buzzed or drinking. Totally. I love those. And those are the moments that like for me, I didn't even realize I was missing those until I stopped drinking. And then I was like, oh, wait, look at all of these little things. Like, fuck the big things. Like the little moments that you just don't even know that you're missing. Yes. The little, the little sweet. Yes. The little sweet moments that just bring so much happiness. I was also just really happy that I got a big holiday under my belt right away. Like within the first week or two, because it gave me the confidence that I can totally do this. And these holidays and big life events are way better without alcohol. So much better. Yeah. Like that's so interesting that it was just like, yes, so early on that that really kind of gave you a leg up, which so many people I think are like, oh, well, after Christmas, I'll stop or after New Year's, I'll stop. Right. Rather than being like, no, let's just see. And then realizing that going through those, you get such a big leg up because you're like, oh, my God, I did that well, then I could do this. Like, that's no problem. Look what I've already done. Absolutely. Yeah. And I just, the last, so it's been about six months now. And I just feel like I have healed in so many ways. I Mm -hmm. decided to start doing consistent therapy. And I've just been able to talk through so many things that kind of like have kept this pit of anger Mm -hmm. in my stomach for a long time. And I was just like able to release that. And I just, I don't think I would have been able to do that if I was still drinking. Yeah, I think that's so true. It's such a barrier. It's such a barrier to healing. And like, even, you know, you talk about your loss that was a year ago. And I just want to say, like, it's so uh, understandable that you turn to alcohol after that. I mean, of course, right? Like, that just makes all the sense in the world. And that now when you stop drinking, like that now you're able to go back and start to heal and grieve and all of those things that you didn't talk about or that you couldn't at that time, like now you're able to go back there and love yourself through that and give yourself so much compassion while you grieve and 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 talk about how hard it was and like how 
traumatic it was and all of that. Like alcohol is just such a barrier to all of that stuff. And it's just, it really is like kicking that can down the road. And like, you're not gonna, you just can't deal with that stuff until it's out of the picture. Yeah. And I do think that sobriety is one of the biggest acts of self-love that you can give to yourself. Yeah. And I also think too, if sobriety is self-love, then what is drinking? Especially if you know how harmful it is. And I think that's why some people are are like so closed off to even hearing how harmful alcohol is. It's just they don't even want to know because then they have to examine it. But that's what makes me so sad when I see people that I love who still drink. It's like, man, you're just, you're really, you're hurting yourself. And I don't want you to hurt yourself, but everyone is on their own journey. And so all you can do is just set up your own boundaries and try to show them by living your life you know, how much better things can be without alcohol. And it can be really scary to love yourself, right? Mm-hmm. If we don't know how to do that, and if we we don't have the language, and if we weren't taught that, and if we weren't shown that, it, it can be really fucking scary to take a chance on yourself and to show yourself love and compassion. And so sometimes like self-sabotage and all of that stuff that comes with drinking is the quote unquote easier. And I say that in huge quotes because it's not easier and it it catches up to us and all of that stuff. But it's just understandable. Like it's just understandable why it's so scary to take a chance on ourselves. Yeah. And I do just think like alcohol is so glamorized and every once in a while, even though I'm six months out and I have no interest in drinking, I do still find myself kind of getting caught in that mental trap of like, man, do I, do I, do I kind of regret making this decision? Cause like having yeah. like froze is on this hot summer day sound, sounds really nice. And then I have to go back and remind myself like what it would be doing to my brain, my body, how I would feel. And that is just not in alignment with my values. And I'm like, okay, I'm good. Like, I don't, I'll just, I'll just drink a nice soda water out of my nice wine glasses or like some sort of mocktail. And that'll give me that like luxurious experience that I'm feeling on this Saturday or like wanting on this Saturday afternoon. I don't need the alcohol. Totally. I'm so glad you brought this up because like we aren't robots, right? Like I'm not a sober robot and and like I'm just like sobriety, sobriety, like constantly. <laughs> like like we we are like our minds wander and be like, oh right. Like oh, fuck, I'm doing this for my life, aren't I, right? When that fear comes in and the like what ifs and all of that stuff that we talk about. And like just you romanticizing alcohol, of course, because that's what everyone does, is not, it doesn't mean anything more than that. It just means you're not a robot. It just means that you're like, oh, right. But then taking that next step to, oh, right, I remember what a shit show it is. Like, then that is that work and that's that muscle that you just like tone and that gets stronger so that the romanticizing becomes less. But I I like that you brought it up because it's not, it's just not a sign of anything else other than that we romanticize it. Yeah. Well, and then also being sober too and like being around other people who are drinking, you can like things change, like one glass of wine in and you, you just see the change. You feel the change in the room. It's like, you, you can just, yes. it's like tension in the, not tension, but it's like, you can just like feel it in the air. And I just don't want to be, I don't want to be that person anymore with like the bloodshed eyes and the glossy look and 
not being super present with my kids. Like it's not a cute, it's not a cute look. Yeah, <laughs> it's so true. But I, like, I was drunk. I was, I was a part of it too. So you didn't notice it. And I was thinking about this, that maybe that's a part of why like sobriety can make people uncomfortable mm-hmm. because you might be seeing them while they're drinking and you're not, and they might feel judged. But I just know that any glamorization that is happening, like it's not real and I'm not going to do that. And I just need to play that tape forward and it'll be fine. So true. I mean, and the fact that you really did, like our journeys were similar in that it was that deciding, right? You were just like, oh, I'm done. Like that is a pretty powerful and I I think pretty rare thing that somehow, and and that doesn't mean the fears, right? Like the fears that creep in when your husband's like, are you you never drinking again? Like, what is this? You know? And the fact that you can kind of just set that to the side and just be like, no, I know I'm done. And I'll just figure all the, I'll, I'll figure the rest out. Like, I don't know. I, I'm not going to answer that question, the forever question. I hate the forever question. I know. Yeah, you could just figure all that shit out. But you could only figure it out if there's not alcohol involved. 100%. Oh, my God. And how do you feel now? How do you feel now at six months over? I feel great. It's been good to start talking about it more with just friends and the people in our group too have just been so supportive and it's been really nice to just have other people who understand like where you're at because a few months ago there wasn't anyone in my life that I knew who didn't drink it was like there was just it it just didn't happen so it was really good to have that support but as I've gotten more comfortable talking about it I've actually some of my friends have joined me on this journey not necessarily being like, I'm going to be sober, but they're like, I'm going to be more mindful about this. Like now that you're talking about this, it's making me wonder, like maybe I've been drinking a little bit too much, or maybe this isn't in alignment with my values. And so I'm just going to be more cognizant of it. And so it's just been really awesome to have people who love me, who are trying to understand and not jumping at like, oh, you're judging me. It's like, no, no, this isn't about you at all. Like this is for me. Yes. It's amazing. You can do what you want to do in your life. And I this is this is for this is just for me. And if you want to come join me on this journey, I will be here to support you and talk about it. But I'm just so grateful now that there's a few people in my life who are joining on this journey. And it's so funny, once you start talking about your sobriety too, other people will start coming to you and saying, like, hey, you know, I've been thinking about this, but I'm not sure. And like, am I do I have a problem? Am I an alcoholic? And I'm like, no, no, no. I don't use those words. Like, I don't think, yeah, like, I I think those are, I think those words cause people to keep drinking. Yes. They keep them drinking. Yeah. And it's okay to question your relationship with alcohol and not label yourself as someone who has a problem or as an alcoholic. You could just say it's not, it's getting in the way with who I want to be or it's not in alignment with my values. Like, there's no shame in sobriety. Yes, there's no shame in sobriety. And like your friends, just like, that's how it all starts, right? It doesn't generally start with someone being like, yeah, I'm done. It starts just by looking, like just look. And and that is something that we just haven't done. We just, we've been taught not to look because if you look, watch out, you got to go to AA, buddy. And that's just like not the case. Like we have to look at the substance, a highly addictive substance that we're allowing in our lives. And that's like where it all starts. I love that. I know you take a deep breath now. You did it. 
I'm going to have you like run a class on manifestation or something because... You- <laughs> yes, I know. It keeps coming up in the group. My mom's mentioned it too. She's like, and Bethany manifests and like... <laughs> you know, one of the things that I wrote down in my manifestation back in December was that I quit drinking and the universe just cracked open for me. Mm. And I somehow have a feeling that this conversation is a part of that. Yeah. Like that's Ah. kind of what my gut is telling me. So we'll, yes, we'll see. But, and I think some of it is just like being open and honest and telling my full story. Yes. I think you're right. I mean, you are right. You're Yoda. We've established. (laughs) So like what you say, what you put out into the universe. Speak it into being. Yes, exactly. I think you're right. And I think that that's my favorite part about sobriety is being able to tell the truth and being able to show up with compassion for yourself and say, this is who I am. I've found freedom from this and I've found myself and I'm loving myself through it. And when we start telling our truth and start telling our stories, other people follow. And we just, it does, it cracks open. It cracks open those hard shells. It cracks open the universe. It cracks everything open into just bright light and and wonder and love and support and all of that stuff and difficulties and challenges too. But all of the things that we are way more than capable of doing. I just love it. And I thank you. I thank you. Thank you. I have been looking forward to this conversation. You did not disappoint. I knew. I knew it was going to be amazing. So thank you. I'm just so proud of you. Yeah. And thank you for having me and letting me share. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Sober Mom Life. If you loved it, please rate and review it wherever you listen. Five stars is amazing. Also, follow me on Instagram at The Sober Mom Life. Okay, I'll see you next week. I'm going to go reheat my coffee. Bye. Addiction impacts all of us. Addiction's consequences run through all of us. From ourselves to our loved ones and through our communities, addiction creates so much loss and grief. My name is Dwayne Osterlin, and I'm the host of the Addicted Mind podcast, a show featuring personal stories, expert guests, and vital information about addiction and addiction recovery. We'll talk with leading treatment providers to discuss the latest research and treatment options for this devastating disease and advocate for mental health awareness. We discuss topics like the importance of creating a community of support to helping loved ones to some of the latest research on psychedelic medicines. The Addicted Mind podcast has been about creating hope, listening to stories of many amazing people that have overcome addiction and are thriving. If you or a loved one is struggling with addiction, subscribe to the Addicted Mind podcast wherever you get your podcasts or check out theaddictedmind.com. New episodes every Monday. See you there.